0: lesson 10, trimester 2. It's entitled, How to React in an Attack. How to React in an Attack. Have you ever felt attacked? Oh, have mercy. (laughs) It's not a testimony service. It's not a testimony service. But we're going to try to learn a little bit about how how to respond in the midst of that, because truth be told, uh, my goodness, most of them are surprised. Sometimes you get snared uh, oftentimes you're not prepared and um, while well you just wish most of the time these are the moments we wish we could go back and do something different and I'll be the first one to stand up and say to you that there have been more than a moment or two, or time or two that I wish I could go back and redo something so if you feel bad that you, you didn't handle something right join the club we're, we're starting that club tonight it's the club I wish I could go back and do a different club alright because all of us would join it right all of us would do it. And as I've often said, you can't go back and change. But the good news is that God forgives the past and then he enables us to go forward in the future to do things differently. And so that's what we're looking to accomplish here. So how to react in an attack. And I'm, I'm particularly talking about this in terms of, of uh, aspiring leaders and just in places of influence. And we're going to deal with Moses tonight. And there are two incidents in the book of Numbers, and I'm not going to read all 16 verses in chapter 12 or 50 verses in number 16. Um, I'm going to let you go home and do that if you want to read the whole story. I'm going to basically synopsize it for everyone here tonight. But um, in these two instances, Moses, in fact, they're only four chapters apart, and as I've said before, a lot of times there's a good deal of time that takes place between these two events. I don't know exactly how long these two events were between the two of them. My my instincts tell me probably not as long as some chapters are. But uh, nonetheless, these are two incidences fairly close together that uh, Moses uh, was confronted with and he had to deal with. Let let me just share this. If you're doing the work of the kingdom, opposition comes. All right? I mean, it can be well-intended opposition or it can be just demonic from the pits of hell stuff. But if you're doing something for God, you're going to face opposition. I know that there are many things being taught today that uh, are telling us that everything's smooth and easy and you know when the grace of God comes there's unmerited favor and everything that God's in uh, should be easy and smooth and you shouldn't have to contend for it and I'll just tell you that's just not the truth it's just not the truth if you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he talks about his shipwrecks and his lashings and whippings and, and sleeping out in the cold and in the heat and in the desert, and he talks about, all oh, he's run out of town. And let me tell you, if, if everything that God's in is favorable, the apostle Paul was a false apostle, because I'm telling you, he faced some incredible challenges. All those early disciples faced challenges, and Jesus himself faced incredible opposition. And so understand that when opposition comes your way, it, it, it's not always a signal that you're doing something wrong. Sometimes opposition can mean you're, you're doing things right. I, I really should have been somewhat better prepared that as we began to uh, finally initialize the cutting of trees down and things like that on the land, I should, I should have really been better prepared that there's, there's been a challenge or two. Now, it's nothing terrible or it's nothing that's, you know, going to stop what we're doing, But it, but it reminded me That the minute you cut a tree down for the kingdom, the enemy's going to be there, and he's not going to be yelling timber. He's going to pick that tree up and try to beat you over the head with it is what he's going to try to do. All right? It just reminded me that the first time we stick a shovel in the ground and we literally turn dirt in order to build a building. I'm telling you, there's a portal in hell that gets opened up when groundbreaking services for churches take place I know what people say you shouldn't confess that pastor let me tell you I am not ignorant concerning his schemes brethren and I guarantee you when he comes out of that hole he's gonna meet the blood he'll wish he hadn't come out of that hole all right now that's that's our mentality all right we're not we're not giving the enemy more credit than is due him but at the same time we understand that whenever you do something for God, you're going to find opposition. When you, when you serve the Lord, listen, I'm, I, I, I'm glad I see young people, I see seniors, I see all kinds of different age people here. When you decide you're going to serve God, and whether you go to school or you go to work or wherever it is you go, and people start needling you or gigging you, you ought to just say, praise God, it must mean I'm doing something right. All right? So if you can get that in your system, that'll really help you. Because you will face opposition. Amen. I know you don't want it. I don't either. I don't want it. I'm not looking. I'm not trying to pick a fight. But you do just because of who you carry inside of you. Now, there are two portions of Scripture, as I mentioned here, and I'm not going to read them to you, but I'm going to tell you about them. I encourage you to read them yourself. The first portion in Numbers 12 has to deal with Aaron and Miriam, who were the older brother and sister of Moses. And uh, they had, I, as I have come to understand it, they were having a difficult time over who Moses chose to marry. I mean, they weren't happy with him choosing uh, this particular woman. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me. She might have been a Midianite. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, her, her Ethiopian, excuse me, an Ethiopian. And so obviously it was, it was a, what we would call a mixed marriage. She was Ethiopian. I mean, she, I mean, she was... African-American. She was black. She wasn't American. She was African. She was black. Ethiopian. And Moses, of course, would have come from uh, the Middle East. And while he might have been olive-complected, probably the pigmentation was a little bit different. See, there was, there was racism and bigotry and prejudice issues back then, too. Always been around. And so they were upset at, at who Moses was marrying. And what happened was, is that the criticism began to spill over from his choice of wife into really his his leadership as a whole. And I have to share this, that sometimes family has a hard time distinguishing the family status with ministry status. And the reason this is, is because of familiarity. It really is a difficult thing. Now, I wish Trace could be here tonight, because she could probably preach this a little bit better Than I could, but you know, she's lived with me now for 29, almost 29 years. She didn't live with me before we were married and we're going to be married 29 years. So however long 28 plus was, we've been living together as man and wife. She's, she's seen the good, the bad and the ugly. She's seen good days. She's seen bad days. Now I I want you, as you, as you kind of assimilate that, think about this. I'm her pastor too. Now, do you know how difficult and challenging that might be for her? I know you all think I'm probably the sweetest thing around. And oh, oh what it must be like to hang around with Pastor all day long. Just just ask Trace to tell you the stories and it will it will shock you. I'm because I'm not always a gem. There are days I'm quite human. And and what happens is, as familiarity sets in, it's really hard. This is very, very difficult. When familiarity sets in, what happens is it becomes common, and when it becomes common, and you take it for granted, there's no longer honor. There's no longer, you know, a concept of authority. There's no longer respect. Things begin to diminish because what you say to yourself is this: How can how can he or she hear from God when they can't get the glasses that they just drank from into the dishwasher? Why can't they get their dirty clothes in the dirty clothes hamper and they leave their clothes strung all over and now they're telling me they hear from God? I mean, that's really, that's what familiarity is. Familiarity is, is that I see you do some pretty obnoxious, irritating things. Why is it that I should even think you could hear from God? And, and so that's what happened to Aaron and Miriam. That there's familiarity. And, and after a while, they look and say, well, you married this woman. We don't think it was a good choice. And then it just opened up this can for everything else under the sun. And so they're just kind of yay yay about his whole leadership. And, and interestingly, Moses does not respond. But what happens is, is that God does. Now, this is the point I want to underscore. You are, not, you are not the avenger. The Lord is the avenger. The battle is whose? The battle is the Lord's. The scripture says that over and over and over again. Now, that's really hard. Sometimes for me, because I want the battle to be mine. The Lord says the battle is mine. But there are times I want to say, no, the battle's mine. I don't mind. All right, let's, let's, let's mix it up a little. But, but Moses had the maturity to realize he didn't have to respond in this. In, uh, in fact, he actually lowers Miriam to a place beneath Moses' wife because uh, leprosy came upon her. That's the story about leprosy coming on Miriam. Uh, because she challenged uh, her brother Moses' authority. Now, let me go to the second one here, and we'll give you some precepts. The second one in number 16 has to deal with leadership at that particular time. Moses was, of course, the point person, the set one. But then there was leadership that had been parceled out amongst the Jews, and several of them, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, plus the Scripture says 250 others, leaders, begin to challenge Moses' leadership. Now, again, we don't know all the details in the background as to why this moment came. Again, I can assure you there could have been a hundred things that came up in all of this. It could have been the fact that, that they were watching what was going on in Moses' own family. He, hey, he's fussing in his own family with his brother and his sister. They don't think he's all that hot. And if they don't think he's hot and they hang around him all the time, why should we pay attention to him? And, and I, you know, I mean, I could make up a scenario that would fit very well within all of this. But what ended up happening was that Cora, that Dathan, and Abiram, and all these others got together. They probably, had a, they probably had a committee meeting at night somewhere, didn't tell Moses where it was at, and, and they decided at this meeting that Moses was no greater or better than they were. Now, can I just share this with you? And, and, and I, I've said this before, and, and we're in the authority trimester. I understand that everybody in this room, is, is, can be, is, or may be more spiritual than I am. You're, you're one of those three. You may not be a spiritual. You may be just as spiritual, or you could be more spiritual. And can I just share this? Biblically, all of us can access God on our own. Is that not right? In other words, I'm not your priest. I may be your preacher, but I'm not your priest. You can go to God. You can seek God. You can talk to God. He can talk to you. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that great? He, because he's open 24-7. Don't call me late at night, please. I mean, but he's open 24-7. And it was true even then. They're looking at each other and say, who's Moses? I mean, Moses just this guy. We put, we put our toga on the same way Moses does. I mean, we're, no, we're, we're just the same as he is. He's no better than us. And, and listen to me. I believe in the priesthood of the believer, but the priesthood of the believer does not equal the government of the believer. And a, and again, I know churches do it different ways, and, and God bless them, and that's how they do it. And and I'm just trying to understand the Scripture, so so I, as best as I know how, can do it God's way. But a lot of times, that's what happens, because everybody decides, well, hey, I'm as spiritual as the pastor is. I can access God. Why can't I have a say in it? It's because you don't have the same call. You don't have the same tap. You don't have the same anointing. And And God, whereas you can hear God, and God will do great things in your life, that doesn't mean as we gather together as a group, God does not establish authority. So... We've, we've already gone through all those lessons, and I'm not going to go through all those lessons again. But but what happens is, is that Moses desires to meet with Dathan and Abiram, but they don't want to meet with him. And it's at this point that Moses gets angry, and he takes his issue to the Lord. I mean, he's just mad. Now, it's interesting that you can have a leader of the stature of Moses and still have people get upset with him. This is what's always interesting to me is because if if Paul the apostle was your pastor, people would be irritated with him. If, if, you, if, you had, if you had any of the original 12 disciples and they were your pastor, we'd be irritated with them. If it were Moses or Elijah or Elisha or any of these Isaiah, if they were to come and if you were to say in yourself, oh, if we just, even if you had Jesus, do you not know that you'd be irritated with him? He he offended away. Do you know how many people he offended away? All Just about all of them at one time, that's true. So listen, it doesn't matter how skilled or talented you may be, people will rise to challenge you. If God's put you in authority, then you've got to be prepared for opposition. Now the question is, how do you react in all of this? Because you know what? People, listen to me, people don't create your spirit. They only reveal it. Boy, I, I learned that years ago, that if there's something that pops out of me that's not right or unrighteous, you know, truth of the matter is, all that, all this scenario did was—it's not their fault. They just unveiled something that was in there. They just were used by God to help me see what was inside of myself. And and, and so the question is, what do we do when we're when we're facing opposition? And again, I, I, maybe this applies at various levels, and and it may even take maybe, in some levels, some counsel. But but let me just walk through what Moses did. The first thing Moses did when he was in this attack was he humbled himself before the Lord. You can see the scripture notations there. He humbled himself. He put his face on the ground. You know, it's, 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 hard, to, it's hard to trip and stumble. It's hard to make a mistake and, and fall on your face when you've already decided you're going to be on your face. Isn't that true? I, I mean, you may trip and fall on your face. That may have been the Lord saying that's where you needed to be in the first place, is on your face before the Lord. Because the natural inclination is to fight back. You know, in A Tale of Three Kings, by the way, I hope you got the book and you read it, but one of the quotations in there says, what do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Why, you pull it out of the wall and you throw it right back. Then you will become exactly like a Saul. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that despite the fact that spears are getting thrown at you, we aren't called to be spear throwers. And that's how you earn credibility when you walk what you talk. Note the responses of Jesus as he was attacked. There was a confidence that God would handle this in a way that would vindicate his humility. And so, it's just a good reminder that God has called us to humility. He said that Moses was one of the most meek, the, one of the meekest men in the earth, and and yet God entrusted him with over five million people to give leadership to. That's an amazing thing. Secondly. What did Moses do? He emptied himself of personal feelings. In Numbers 16, uh, 15, uh, it says, Moses was very angry uh, and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And, and what he was saying was, He said, I hadn't done anything here. And, and, and the Lord had to remind him that this wasn't about him. I mean, you've often heard the phrase, Don't take. Don't take it personally. Anybody ever heard that phrase? I mean, sometimes you're working in a business or something. Don't take it personal because it's just it's how business works. Well, actually, that could kind of uh, be said. It comes from the Bible. When people attack authority, they're really challenging God more than you. Leaders need to learn not to complain about their people. Don't complain if you're given a small group. Don't complain if you're given a ministry area. Don't complain. Give it to God. You got to empty yourself of personal feelings. If if, you know God wants to use you, but when he uses you, understand it's him using you. And and it's not you. So do you also understand that when you're getting affirmed, it's not you. (laughs) Because we like that, don't we? Actually, they're affirming what God is doing in you. All right? So, so try to empty yourself of personal feelings. Number three, ask yourself if there's any truth to the criticism. Wow, this is one of the hardest things. Because without a doubt, there are a lot of unjustifiable criticisms that come to people's way. I mean, you've experienced it. You've experienced criticism that's not right. It's not accurate. But the question is, can you be objective enough to see if, if there's any truth in any of what's being said? I've mentioned before, and I think I mentioned it Sunday, that if something is 90% false and 10% true, you do realize that you're still accountable to the 10% that's true. Now, I understand when you got like this, this anonymous letter, let's say, and 90% is false and 10% is true, what's easy to do is, is because they've said so many false things is that you, you just ignore the whole deal. Well, they just, they're out to lunch. They're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. But listen to me. Listen to me. If 10% of it is accurate then I encourage you to try to sift through that and, and listen to what the Lord might say in that 10%. Ask yourself, is there any truth to the criticism? Number four, let God begin to vindicate you. Let God begin to vindicate you. I want to open this up because I, I'm sorry my memory is not quickened as to what 1 Corinthians 4.3 is. 1 Corinthians 4.3, we read... It says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now keeping that in mind, then Romans 12, 19. Let's see what interesting verse is here. Romans 12, 19. We read, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather... Uh, Give place to wrath, meaning God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, what we read here is that Moses is practicing what Paul would later write down in the scriptures that he had no need to justify himself before his accusers. And, uh, I, again, that's a hard thing to do because isn't it true when someone starts slopping you with stuff or hitting you with stuff, the, the instant we, the thing we want to do, and I, I, hey, I'm standing here, is you want to be defensive. Sure we do. Whoa, 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 You don't understand. You don't get Let me, let me, oh, this, I, 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 I mean, all of us do this because we want to be sure they understand, you know, whether it's the whole story or whatever the case may be. But listen, if you, if you justify yourself before another, what happens is you allow them to become your judge. If you justify yourself before another, what you do is you give them the right to be your judge. Why do, why do we justify ourselves? Because we want them, because whatever they said, we want them to weigh it rightly. But is it, are they the ones that need to be weighing it? Or is it God? God. See, Paul is clear that he considers earthly judgment a small thing. God is the ultimate judge. Now, let me tell you what he does here. He gives Miriam, the Lord gives Miriam leprosy. Ouch. Now, I don't know that I, you know, I, I, I'm just guessing, but probably if Moses would have had his choice, I'm not sure he would have said, give her leprosy, sicker, Lord. I mean, I've kind of been that upset before where I could say that, but I mean, but generally, I, don't, I wouldn't want someone to just, you know, like croak or die or, you know, I wouldn't want that to happen to somebody. Uh, but yet, that's how God takes care of it. You know, I might have wanted, you know, ants to, you know, get in their shoes or something like that. But I, you know, termites in their house or, you know. But I'm not sure I would have thrown sickness on her. Cora and company, interestingly enough, Korah uh, gets swallowed up. You know the story. He literally gets swallowed up in an earthquake. And, and many, many people die on that particular day. In fact, I put down here 14,700 people die of the plague. Now, how many of you know God can vindicate you? And I don't believe Moses probably wanted that to happen. In fact, we'll read here later that I'm convinced he didn't want that to happen. But you've got to let vindication be in the hands of the Lord. God is perfect. This is what's interesting about the Lord. God is perfect in his mercy, and God is perfect in his justice. You know, you know. Sometimes, in human estimation, as we evaluate circumstances in people's lives, and we see things that happen, and we know there's some shenanigans or some craziness that's going on in that circumstance, and in our human understanding, we might think we know exactly what God needs to do, and yet God doesn't move. And we say to ourselves, "I can't believe! I can't believe that God wouldn't move in this situation." But listen to me; He is perfect in His mercy. And I have seen through the years God seemingly taking his time, and and he is, in certain circumstances. And, of course, in my human estimation, I would have, you know, I would have zapped him, you know, years earlier. But, of course, I'm not God. So he's perfect in his mercy. But when the moment comes and God moves and his justice is unveiled, oftentimes I've said to myself, Oh, wow, I would have never. Lord, that, that seems rough. And, and I'm just reminded that he is perfect in his mercy and he is perfect in his justice. His ways are absolutely perfect. And so let God vindicate you. you some of us are probably too merciful, so put it in the hands of the Lord. Some of us are probably too justice-oriented. Sometimes we got to put that in the hands of the Lord and let him take care of it. Believe me, God will do it. Then number five, I wrote down here, how do you react in an attack? Isn't this one fun? Pray for those who brought the attack? <laughs> now, I know what we say. Yeah, I'll pray for him. <laughs> There's some, I know Psalm 24 and Psalm 35. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll pray that. You know, sometime read Psalm 24. It says, you know, he's, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, and he's saying, Lord, take note of their threats. Chase them, run after them, beat them as dust in the wind. You know let them be scattered you know you, you start reading all that stuff and David is just really irritated with his enemies but that's not what we're talking about in Matthew 544 there's a there's a passage there in uh, in the Sermon on the Mount Give me just a second my fingers here are a little not as nimble 544 it says I say to you love your enemies bless those who what do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Can everyone say, oh my, oh my? Because I'm telling you, that's a hard one to say amen to. That's hard to say amen to. It is hard to pray for those who are who are causing you pain. But prayer is the only real way of keeping your spirit right as you go through those challenging moments. You, you know, you may be... You may be the offended party. It may be wrong. I mean, we could go down the list, and I'm telling you, I understand how it feels. You want to to take hold of this thing yourself? I'm I'm encouraging you before you get your hands on it, you got to seek God and ask God to get his hands on it. And if you'll do it God's way, it's amazing um, exactly what can take place in these situations. Number six, this is what Moses did in number 16.8 as he's being attacked, he still attempts to exhort and restore. The true character of leadership is two-sided. Sometimes we have to correct and rebuke, but the other side is to exhort and to restore. That's what you do, hopefully, with your children. You know, there's a place with your children that you look at them and you have to rebuke them and correct them and discipline them. But then the other side of it is, is that you've got to restore them and exhort them and and this is this is the balance of how we give leadership to things, um, you know. If if one is is greater than the other, then then we can be off kilter. And and I'll just say it again. I know there's there's. Parenting philosophies out there that everything is, you know, simp- everything is, is simply telling them how great they are, and they're great, and, and it's always positive, 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 positive. And, and I believe in being positive. In fact, I would much rather be positive than negative. But, but if, if they aren't getting it, if they are clueless, there are moments you've got to look them in the eye and say, if you keep this up, a policeman will pick up where I'm leaving off. Okay? And and there comes a moment you got to rebuke and you got to correct, and we try to do this in our house. I don't know that I'm perfect at it. In fact, I'm probably not. But I can tell you that that I'm probably a better rebuker than I am exhorter. But I have learned through the years that you just you just you just can't fry them after you fry them, you've got to look at them, too, and say, you know, God has a destiny for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. And the only reason, the only reason I'm on your case right now is because I want what God has for you, apparently, a lot more than you want it right now. But, But we're going to get you back on the right track, okay? Give a person a chance to change. Give a person a chance to change. You know, Jesus, remember, said these words. He said, he said turn the other cheek. Uh, go the extra mile. Give him your cloak also. Now, when I say this, I've had people come up to me before and say, "You know, pastor, I'm turning the other cheek and it just seems like I get taken advantage of." And, da, da, da. and I often tell them this. I said he said, "Turn the other cheek." He said, "Don't keep giving him cheeks all the, you know, he didn't say. I mean, there comes a moment that you got to acknowledge, I'm just getting beat here." All right? and 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 the Lord calls us to be merciful and gracious, but he didn't call us to be doormats either. And, and so there, there are moments that you have to say, hey, listen, you know, I've, I've gone the extra mile. I've given the cloak also. I've forgiven 70 times 7, but, it, you know, and I'm willing to do that. But you know what? This may not work, whatever the situation is. So, so that can happen, but we should attempt to exhort and restore, and there is a line out there somewhere. All of you have heard me say that the Lord is long-suffering, but he's not eternally suffering. In other words, there's, there, even with the Lord, there's a line out here somewhere, you realize this, where he looks at the world and he says, I'm done, right? Now, his mercy goes a long, long way, and I don't know his timetable, and I'm amazed that he's let us go as long as he has. But we all got to recognize that even in God's heart and mind, there's a line out here somewhere where he looks at all of humanity and he says, I'm done. So, realize that we too need to display his nature, but there can be a moment out here where there's a line that he's done. But I'm just reminding us, for for many of us, that that line comes pretty quick. Number seven, always answer a wrong spirit with a right spirit. Always answer a wrong spirit with a right spirit. Again, um, I apologize for having to run so quickly here in the Scripture. Romans 12, 17. It says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And then Proverbs 15 and 1. Proverbs always has some good stuff in it because it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I I, I challenge you to try this sometimes, Um, that if somebody's... You know, if somebody's blasting you or blistering you, instead of of escalating with them, try de-escalating, literally. In in other words, bring your voice down to where it's almost a whisper. And let them keep screaming, and you just keep whispering. And watch what happens. Now, again, this is hard. Why is it so hard to do that? It's because the minute you're getting blasted, your flesh goes, and you're ready for the match. And that's what happens. I know I know what it is. I know how it works in households and marriages and, and at work, and I understand I get, I get it. And, 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 and again, I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect at this, but my nature wants to go, that's my nature. But through the years, when I've been in that moment and I'm getting, maybe I'm getting blasted if you'll bring even your voice down. It's amazing what begins to happen. You have to, listen, they can be be wrong as rain, but that doesn't give you the ability to be wrong as rain. you got to answer a wrong spirit with a right spirit. A leader always lives with the knowledge that more is expected of them. Welcome, welcome to leadership. Learn the ability to exercise self-control and restraint in difficult circumstances. Number eight, don't pick up a judgmental spirit. Moses didn't judge the rebellious ones but instead pleaded with God to spare the congregation this was the part I was mentioning number 1628 he went before the Lord and he said Lord don't 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 do what I know you're wanting to do here how how hard must that have been after he'd been unjustly accused and all of the rest he still went before the Lord and pleaded with God for mercy Moses was not sitting on the sideline cheering the wrath of God As Korah and Abiram and and all of them were being consumed by the earthquake, he wasn't off to the side going, get them, God. Get them, God. Hey, one of them's running away there. Could you let a little fault line open up on them? Okay. I like to tell the story. Years ago, back in the mid-70s, when I was still in high school, we lived for just a short period of time in Norman, Oklahoma. And for those of you that are sports fans, you know that's where the Sooners are located. And my dad got season tickets to Oklahoma football games. And I don't know, they were playing a team, and those were back in the years when, you know, you could, you could hand out 120 scholarships, and there was just those, there was about three or four teams in the nation that were just over-the-top unbelievable. And Oklahoma was one of them. And so they were, they were fairly used to having large scoring football games. And I think they were playing Kansas State in those days. Kansas, you know, in in, in those days, West Ashley could have beaten Kansas State University. So um, they, they were just, they were a bad team. Well, I mean, Oklahoma's just rolling up the score, rolling up the score, rolling up the score. And I think they were, it's like 77 to nothing. Do you understand? That's 11 touchdowns. That's three touchdowns a quarter. I mean, just rolling up. They had the fourth team, you know squad that just gets beat up at practice out on the field playing Kansas State, and, and they're moving the ball downfield, and I don't know what was going on. I was watching the sideline, and all of a sudden, this fourth-string quarterback takes a snap. He makes the throw, and he hits this fourth-team receiver about a yard or two from the end zone, and they're getting ready with about 15 seconds on the clock to score again. I don't know what happened, but all I know is, is that the quarterback called a timeout. The Oklahoma quarterback called a timeout. Now, can you believe you're up 77 to nothing and you call a timeout with 15 seconds left on the clock? Now, you may not understand sports, but that's what we call classless. You don't do that. So he calls this timeout and he's running over to the sideline. And Barry is going, Barry Switzer is going ballistic because it's just a classless thing to do. You don't do that to your opponent. And he gets in the kid's face, and, I, you know, I don't know much. I'm just in high school, but I know enough to know and translate what is probably saying from across the field. He's saying, you better not score. It, it's classless. We aren't doing this. And so the quarterback came out, you know, takes the snap, drops his knee to the ground on the two-yard line, and they don't score because that's, that's not how you handle your opponent. Well, we're in Owen Stadium, Oklahoma Stadium. I mean, at that time, there's probably 70,000 people, at least in the stadium, and the crowd starts booing. They're booing. Their team won 77 to nothing, but because he didn't go in again, they're booing. And I'll never forget my dad. My dad is just, he's just, he's just kind of dry humored, and he's... He just has a funny wit, and he was standing there, and he's listening to all, I mean, we're Oklahoma fans too, but he's listening to all the crowd booing, and he says, you know, I always wondered how the Christians must have felt in the Coliseum. <laughs> all right, we, that, that can't be our spirit. When, 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 when the Lord is vindicating, man, it ought to break your heart. It ought to break your heart. Number nine, release forgiveness. As I've said, forgiveness is a choice. You don't have to feel. If you're waiting to feel like you are ready to forgive, then you've not understood the Scripture. Forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of your will. And ultimately, an unforgiving spirit ultimately hurts you more than it hurts anyone else. I found through the years that truth of the matter is people who I think may have done me wrong, from my vantage point, it looks like they just go on with life. And I think sometimes that if I hold on to my unforgiving spirit, that somehow that's getting back at them. They don't care. and They don't even know. They're just going on with life. That's why you ought to just forgive them, put it in God's hands, and let him just have at it, however you want to do it, Lord. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. I'm just releasing them. I choose to do that. And finally, number 10, if there's a moment that this contentiousness or opposition continues to impact the ministry, though the Scripture does say that there's a moment that we mark them. Now, gratefully that just happens very very rarely but there are those moments when you have to say as i mentioned earlier enough's enough as hard as it can be some people don't belong in the fellowship i mean they just they're just they're just fussy folks and and i wish it would be different but but there comes a moment if they if they can't be redeemed out of that and they won't let god work on them that we 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 have to we have to even mark people and just Make folks aware that, that they just don't want to go on with life. Now, I, I put down this thing by T.D. Jakes. I think I posted it on the website. Do you, some of you keep up with blogs and stuff? Those of you that keep up with blogs, um, you can go and get this if you, if, you, if you don't want it or you want it another way. I think I posted it the other day. Um, but this T.D. Jakes thing is so good. It, it says this, there are people who can walk away from you. And hear me when I tell you this. When people can walk away from you, let them walk. I don't want you to try to talk another person into staying with you, loving you, calling you, caring about you, coming to see you, staying attached. I mean, hang up the phone. When people can walk away, let them walk. Your destiny is never tied to anybody that left. The Bible said that they came out from us, that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. For had they been of us, no doubt they would have continued with us. People leave because they're not joined to you. And if they're not joined to you, you can't make them stay. Let them go doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It just means that their part in the story is over, and you've got to know when people's part in your story is over so that you don't keep trying to raise the dead. You've got to know when it's dead. You've got to know when it's over. Let me tell you something. I got the gift of goodbye. It's the 10th spiritual gift. I believe in goodbye. It's not that I'm hateful. It's that I'm thankful, and I know whatever God means for me to have, he'll give it to me, and if it takes too much sweat, I don't need it. Stop begging people to stay. Let them go. If you're holding on to something that doesn't belong to you and was never intended for your life then you need to let it go if you're holding on to past hurts and pains let it go if someone can't treat you right love you back see your worth let it go if someone has angered you let it go if you're holding on to some thoughts of evil and revenge let it go if you're involved in a wrong relationship or addiction let it go if you're holding on to a job that no longer meets your needs or talents let it go if you have a bad attitude let it go If you keep judging others to make yourself feel better, let it go. If you're stuck in the past and God is trying to take you to a new level in him, let it go. If you're struggling with the healing of a broken relationship, let it go. If you keep trying to help someone who won't even try to help themselves, let it go. If you're feeling depressed and stressed, let it go. If there's a particular situation that you are so used to handling yourself and God is saying take your hands off of it, then you need to let it go. Let the past be the past, forget the former things, God's doing a new thing. Let it go. As T.D. Jake says, get right or get left. Think about it and then let it go, for the battle is the Lord's. Amen. And amen. All right. We're going to land there, and we're going to pray. I know you, uh, I believe, got your new set of uh, memorizations. For those of you that are taking this for credit, um, you got your new set of memorization. If you did not, be sure to stop by and see Maria. Before you take off tonight, and uh, you can get a jump on all those things. And next week, we start uh, trimester three, lesson one. And I got good news for you Pastor Tracy's gonna come and shell the corn next Wednesday. I know you'd like that because she's just funnier than I am. So, But you'll like that. Amen. It'll be a great lesson. All right, stand with me, will you? I'm gonna pray for you, and then I'm gonna cut you loose. Thank you, Lord. Now listen to me, I know that last let it go is really powerful, but you understand before you let it go, you got to do the first nine things, right? You just can't cut them off before you do the first nine. So make sure that you're doing the whole counsel of God and uh, not just the parts you like, all right? Because it doesn't work unless you do the whole deal. Amen. And amen father I thank you tonight that you're causing us to grow up in you I thank you tonight that we are indeed maturing you're giving us strategy to be able to navigate life well and to be able to handle the things that come our direction Lord thank you for the discernment it takes and thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us those few seconds to catch ourselves before the flesh just has its own way so that we can respond and we can begin to demonstrate what uh, you are all about in our life. So, Lord, I pray tonight once again that you would quicken everyone in this room, uh, Lord, that has uh, listened to this, that you would quicken them again to your ways in their life. I pray, Lord, that though it may seem uh, paradoxical or oxymoronic or whatever word we use, Lord, that, that even though it may seem backwards to our natural mind or the world, that is the way of your kingdom and we want to do it the way of your kingdom. So Lord, sear it in our heart, I pray, cause us to just demonstrate you in amazing ways. And Lord, bless your people, Lord, I, I just pray again, you prosper their hands, you'd, you'd cause them to be of influence, let them be salt and light, wherever it is you have placed them and let great kingdom things begin to spring forth from them. So Lord, it's not that they're just encouraged when they come to the house of God, but Lord, let them be encouraged tomorrow, wherever they may go because they see your hand at work in their lives. I believe you're gonna do it in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)